welcome to Three at the Back, the football analytics podcast from OptiPro. We are down to just two of us today, but my guest is a fantastic one, so that'll more than make up for it. I'm delighted that we've got Brentford Head of Performance Analysis, Luke Stopthorpe, with us today. Luke, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Good to see you. You too. And uh, back in pre-season, you, uh, you had a nice summer? I did. It was nice to have a little bit of time off, recharge the batteries and come back fresh and ready to go and hit the ground running this year. Good stuff. And uh, go away anywhere nice? Yeah. Uh, my wife and I got away to Rhodes in Greece for a week just to sit by a pool and not do much else. <laughs> Very nice. And uh, try and avoid all the, the Love Island hype as well, I hear. <laughs> exactly right. Don't think I've watched a single episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say me neither for the pod, but whether that's true or not, I'll, I'll leave alone for now. So, back at pre-season, when, uh, when did you get back to the club? Um, so the players were back in for training on the 24th. I actually went away to a conference, um, so my first week back was this week. Good stuff, and we'll, we'll come on to the conference more, but 24th was a, a couple of days after the championship fixture list came out. Yep. So I wanted to ask you, because a lot of people, you hear it everywhere, does the, does the order of the fixtures matter? Does it make a difference? Um... <laughs> uh, it's an interesting one. I guess ultimately... Everybody plays everybody, home and away. I know there's some research in the Premier League that talks about that it's better to play teams after they've played in a Champions League European fixture, yeah. um, and the results yeah, show that. I guess in the Championship there is a huge number of games, and when you include the Cup games in there, if you have a good run, you're probably up to 50 games in a season, 50+. plus. Um, so then I guess you're looking at the midweek games that you have to play and the distances that you have to travel if you're playing away from home obviously um, and then that obviously will have an impact on recovery time so for example if you have to play back-to-back away games on a on a Wednesday Saturday you're not returning until the early hours of the morning on Thursday morning and then you've got a train and then you travel again on Friday to to get wherever you need to get to. So it's more the uh, the sort of the home home or away and where you're playing is probably more important than the actual opponents. I think particularly in the championship, as there's it's such a competitive league. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just a quick comparison of last year's away away back to back fixtures. So we played Villa and Blackburn back to back on a I think it was Tuesday Saturday and Middlesbrough Sheffield United for example back to back on a Wednesday Saturday um, whereas this year I think the opening back to back away games uh, Leeds away on a Wednesday and then we're away to Charlton so I suppose you've reduced some of your um, distance there and you get a little bit more recovery time because you're at Charlton a London London based club um, yeah so I think there's definitely a little bit in, in that side of it but ultimately in the season your consistency is key. You look back the last couple of years, Villa last season, winning 10 games in a row from March to April helps and yep. put, puts them in a good place in the playoffs. And then the year before, I think it was Fulham, didn't lose a game from, I think it was December till the end of the season. And similar story, good run into the playoffs. Yeah, you, you sort of you hit, get it a lot anecdotally about the team that picks up momentum sort of as the, uh, the late driver into the, uh, into the Prem and playoff times. I don't know. Three points in August is worth as many as you know three points in May and that side of things. But you always think that you know the, that that momentum does make a difference. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for confidence and mentality of a group of players in a squad, and yeah, just carrying that form through into, like you say, your most important games at the end of the season, the semis and the final of the playoffs. Definitely, and you've been at Brentford for about eight years now, that's right. Yeah, so <clears throat> I joined the club in 
2011, uh, Neil McAlargy um, hired me and we built a team. I think we got up to maybe 10 or 11 analysts when we had the academy at Brentford. Yeah. So quite a large large group of analysts and they were all a really good group of people, um, which I think we'll come on to in a little bit about the club, is that we look to employ good people and it's really pleasing to see that a lot of those guys have gone on to develop careers for themselves in analysis. So we've got a few guys at Man City now, uh, one at Man United, Spurs, Welsh FA. So it's really pleasing to see those guys developing a career in analysis. Good stuff. And I suppose your role, what it looked like in 2011 must be worlds apart to what it looks like now. Yeah, so <laughs> I started as a under-18s development squad analyst, so sort of like across a split role for the two teams then. Um, so I did one year of that and then moved into the first team the following year and yeah, did a re- whole range of job responsibilities in those few years before Neil left for Rangers with Mark Warburton. So yeah, a lot of post-match stuff, a lot of training analysis and pre-match work. Um, yeah, quite quite well-rounded. And what, do you, what did you find the biggest change was for, from 18s to first team? Obviously, it's a lot, you hear it's a lot less results driven, a lot less, a lot more focused on player development, perhaps more at individual level, mm. whereas first team, obviously, the winning is, is you know, by far and away the most important element. I th- to be honest with you, I think you've hit the nail on the <laughs> head with that. It, it is a lot more results driven. Um, there's probably a lot more pressure around it because of that. And then, yeah, it's just, I guess, ultimately, it's the head coach's job on the line and how he displays that pressure has an impact on the rest of the group, so... Yeah, I think the results-driven side is probably the biggest change. Yeah. And the, um, I'd imagine a lot of it's interaction with coaches and players as well in terms of you know, a pro with three, 400 games is going to be different to a 17-year-old trying to sort of make their way in the game. Yeah, definitely. Culture at a football club and building relationships is probably one of the biggest things that can happen. And then, yeah, you've got, I guess... With the players that are coming through now, analysis has been in football for so long that these younger players are used to having the analytics side yep. um, throughout their academies or B teams or whatever approach they've come up in. So I guess you're probably going away from the older pros that are sort of new to it now. I think the older pros now have, have had it for sort of 15 years yep. of their career. Um, so yeah, I guess there's probably not that much of a difference anymore, to be honest. Good stuff. And... And your role has obviously changed a lot as well. Now you are, you're head of the department. Yeah. So I imagine your day-to-day is a lot different to what it was five years ago, eight years ago as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now we're, we've got a group of four of us total. So yeah, there's predominantly three of us with the first team. So myself is here, uh, Taylor, who looks after sort of the set-piece side, and then we've got Lewis with the B team. Um, so yeah, there's four of us there. and It's a really good group. Everybody gets on really well. We're just in a little port cabin <laughs> office. Yeah, so that's really good. My day-to-day is sort of mostly taken up with the opposition side of things, um, so formulating strategies and game plans and finalising clips and writing reports and all that side of it. Um, obviously, I'm hoping some of your provision tools can, can help with that. little plug there for you. <laughs> on, the, uh, on the reports, I'd imagine a report that you'll have for the open game of the season if you compared that with the, the first report you did since you, and you joined Brentford, I imagine they'd be worlds apart. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the reports at the start were quite basic. They were quite generic. I'd say they were probably really objective. We've probably gone away from that a little bit now. Um, We want to measure our philosophy and our style of play a lot more. 
and because of that, we have a lot more subjective yep. information within that, which is probably one of the biggest differences. To be fair, back in the day, we were probably doing a little bit of sequencing work. Um, that was purely down to the manager wanted to look around challenges and yep. what happened before and after a challenge. So that was quite an interesting project and sort of led, led to some decisions about who was playing game to game as well. So that was quite nice to have an impact there. And does that allow... Um does that mean you sort of got the the scope to to conduct longer term work, sort of more trend analysis that can inform and can can you know you can utilise in the day to day game by game reports as well? Yeah, we definitely um, do a lot of sort of ranking of different metrics on a longitudinal basis, and yeah, we try to feed that in on a on a game by game basis as well to yeah again formulate game plans and strategies and tie all that into our philosophy. Yeah, I spoke with um, an analyst at a uh, rugby union side a little while back and was saying the same thing, sort of, while each game will have its own context that you've got to be aware of, that, you know, day, day, just looking at the data in terms of, you know, this happens when this team are at home or when teams are at home, they score this number of points. To win a game, you need this number of points. Mm. If weather changes, particularly in rugby, it's probably a bigger issue, but uh, then this happens and then that can, that can inform while not entirely dictate, but each game approach as well. Yeah, I think... No single measure is going to dictate yep. something. Um, I think they've all got a place to to play. So it's just almost putting a weighting to, to each one and how you feed that in. Yeah, I think it's don't lean too heavily towards one one measure and try and take everything on board. And Yeah, and you, especially when you hear so many of, you know, you hear people saying, uh, we, ideally we just like one number or one index and you're sort of thinking that... Maybe not, but it's it's so easy to consume that people like it, but it's sort of the, you, you want to sort of warn against it and yeah. and that side of things. Yeah, I think the more you work with people and going back to the relationships and the cultures, the more you, one, get to know what they're interested in and what they want to look for, um, but also you build that trust and then you can start bringing in new things and they're a little bit more responsive to you. And you mentioned that now a lot of the role is, um, perhaps dictator is the wrong word, but it's making sure that it fits the needs of the head coach and the manager and what they're looking for. Yep. So in terms of your relationship with Thomas Frank, how, how is that? Is it a lot of focus on the opposition? Is it com- combining both things in terms of your own performance? Um, I'd probably say Thomas is leaning more towards our own performance. That's not saying that opposition analysis isn't important at all, but I sort of think they fit side by side a little bit on that front. Again, it goes back to building relationships. So in my time at the club, I've worked with six managers um, and then you've obviously got their assistant managers as well to build relationships with so yeah Thomas joined us um, at the end of 2016 as assistant with Dean and Rich O'Kelly and he was like a real driving force for the analytics side and worked really closely with us to measure and define the style of play and the philosophy so the analysis department built a really strong and good relationship with Thomas before he obviously moved into the position he's in now. Yeah, I'd imagine those sort of internal <clears throat> promotions, recruitments must make it a lot easier transition, both in terms of that wider philosophy and and processes. You know what works, you know what doesn't work, you know what information people are responsive to as well. Definitely. That's how I progress through the club. I think it's a, a key compartment of what the club's about. Other departments do it as well, the medical, the S&C guys... They all promote within, um, and I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I think especially with the uh, you get people uh, you know at a club for a long time, they'll get to know that club as well, and it have such a big impact. Eight, year, eight years is uh, you must know the club like the back of your hand. 
And uh, as well as the head coach, obviously, um, the other sort of side of that at the other end would be the B team and working with them. Could you tell us a bit about the relationship with that in terms of player pathway and your, your interactions on that side of things? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so we closed our academy, which is well documented. Um, for us, the B team approach is a really good way to go. The staff, again, have been at the club a long period of time. Some of them throughout the academy days uh, were all on one site at the training ground. Um, yeah, I think everybody knows everybody. It's almost like there's not a divide between first team and B team. Um, we're all in it together. In terms of player pathways, I think that because we're down to two teams, the distance between the quality between the two is a lot smaller and more minimal so it does allow players to step in when needed due to injuries suspensions whatever it may be which then again allows the first team to have a slightly leaner leaner look to it um, with more quality in it and I'd imagine with a um, with the B team structure and set up as it is it can be tailored exactly towards what players need to do to when when they're called upon for the first team yeah, uh, it needs to be streamlined with the philosophy and the style of play, which it definitely is. And we try to do that on an analytics side as well. So Lewis is measuring the B team in the same way that Zaheer, myself and Taylor are doing as well with the first team. Obviously there's some differences. They don't have third-party suppliers with some of the data yeah. and the information. But as much as we can, we streamline all of that information. Excellent, and that allows you to, you know... The right back is doing X, Y, and Z at the first team. Our right back does X, Y, and Z. What needs to happen to get this right back to there, for, for example? And yeah. um, that makes that process a lot easier and a lot more efficient. Definitely. And um, I think the wider, both players and staff, there was an article in the Times from, from April um, about the wider development work that goes on at Brentford in terms of developing good characters that can inform their, you know, that allows them to make better decisions off the pitch and on the pitch. And um, Essentially, a no decades policy, I believe, was the wording. But um, yeah, it'd be good to hear a bit more about that in terms of that that commitment to developing sort of better characters. Yeah, yeah you touched on it there. Um, I think hiring people, and that's not just on the staff side, but on the playing side, is probably one of the biggest things that any business or organisation or football club can do. And that generates your culture and sets the tone for your culture. So, yeah, it's, it's extremely important for us as a club to get the right people that aren't going to cause a scene in the changing room as well as causing a scene on the pitch. Henry came in with Michael Caulfield, our psychologist. This, he seemed quite taken aback by what we were operating with. Um, obviously, there's that perception in the media that we've got hundreds of analysts at the club all just sat behind laptops, not interacting with anybody. Um, and he walks into a little porter cabin with <laughs> four of us just sat there. <laughs> yeah, so I think he was quite taken aback by that. And then, and I think because because Brentford as a club haven't sort of surrounded the the use of data in secrecy. And you know, I, I think that you know it's not exactly given away a secret source or anything like that. I think there's perhaps become a perception from the less informed that it's just data and nothing else. When that's it's not the, really the case in reality. No. Look, we're, we're not the only club out there that are using data, and I don't think we were probably the first club to use data. Um, yeah, I think we were just open to the fact that we do. Um, I guess that for us as a club, we might be slightly different in the fact that we've got Matthew Benham as the owner who's got a gambling company that we can tap into some of their information, some of their predictive modelling and stuff like that that helps them generate generate money basically um, I think Brighton might be the only club that have access to that sort of thing yeah, yeah well. sim similar set up with Tony Bloom I think the that's name right thing. yeah um, so yeah
I think on that, going back to the um, good people side of things, obviously you've been at the club for eight years, I'd imagine... Mm. You know, having a steady team of analysts as well, being able to, you know, you haven't got to go through the process of building trust again or to find out what works, what doesn't. You've got that license to to not take risks, but to um, take the initiative to be proactive in a way that perhaps an analyst might not be able to do in the first three months of their, their career at a club. Yeah. Whenever we've gone through recruitment processes for analysts, I always turn around to people and say, it's not about us teaching you. We want you to give back to us as well. We're by no means a perfect department. I don't think any department is. I think it's important for people to come with new ideas and fresh ideas. I think if everybody thinks the same and acts the same, you're never going to change and improve and get better. Um, so, yeah, that's a big thing for us. Definitely. And I was, I was about to say, what's the one bit of advice you'd, get, you'd probably give to someone who's got an interview? But that seems, like a, that seems like the answer in terms of that proactive approach and being able to... To not just do task after task after task. I think that, you know there's a lot of people that are probably competent enough to do that, but you want someone to add a bit more and to perhaps see the game in a different way or to, to contribute new ideas. Is there, whether that's a process of how the reports are visualised, delivered, whether that's a different metric for a different area, whether that's just the, the process through coaching and players and that side of things. Yeah, it's exactly that. Um, yeah, I think you stand still if you all just do the same thing. You want, you want to be fresh, you want to be on top of things, you want to be... Yeah, the first people to look at something different. Good stuff. And we're going to take a, uh, it's a nice place to wrap it up. We're going to take a quick break, but um, we'll be back to talk a bit more about uh, the analysis process, looking at other industries, touching on that conference you went to. So, um, yeah, we're back in just a moment. Welcome back to Three at the Back. So we're going to start when, by going back to, to pre-season. You mentioned you've been in sort of a week or so at this stage. Um, in terms of objective setting and reviewing the previous campaign, you mentioned that, um, am I right in saying that, that review stage happens at the end of the previous season rather than when you're back in now? Yeah, so yeah, we sat down at the end of the year once all the players had left and yeah, reviewed how the season went, what we felt we could get better at going into this year so we highlighted some basically two key style of play metrics to focus on for this season um, so that'll have a big influence in sort of the training side in pre-season and trying to take some of that into the pre-season friendlies as well and implementing that on the pitch. Excellent and is it a time where you can sort of um, is there that scope to try new things or to see if it works and to, to sort of see how that research is panning out? I think it might be one of the only times <laughs> you can do that. Yeah you get specifically in the championship yeah. you get no time um, to make any significant significant changes to any of your processes so yeah now is definitely the time to be doing that and trying to change some things if you want to yeah and I suppose the, the 46 game season uh, minimum is pretty much all you've known in your, in your analyst world and yeah I always I always sort of I always think this with, with the championship in particular like it must be it, it must be such a challenge in terms of not only from we spoke earlier in terms of the players recovery time and and all that taken away but even from an analysis side keen to know more about how those two games a week how that such a hectic fixture schedule you know impacts your work I can't lie it's brutal at times yeah there's some points in the season where you're playing maybe seven eight matches in a month um, and yeah it takes its toll but for me preparation's key I try to utilise all my free time so whether that's on the coach travelling somewhere, on the train travelling somewhere, any time at the yeah. hotel, just utilising that time to yeah, work on, it could be up to four or five opponents in advance and juggling all of those teams at any one time. So yeah, that's, it can be quite difficult. 
Yeah, I suppose, especially with opponents in terms of probably the first five, maybe ten games of the season, you don't exactly know how they're going to perform, how their style's going to change, especially with managerial changes. And you've got that challenge at one end and then the other end of the, you know, you come December when you've got that, but then you've got, you know, eight, ten, ten games in the month. Yeah, it's tough. Like you touched on there, managerial changes in the championship is quite commonplace. Uh, so we start with Birmingham, Middlesbrough. So two new managers <laughs> straight away for us. Yeah, so it's just about trying to source some pre-season friendlies. You want to obviously try and get two to three towards the season because yeah. that's when they're starting to really finalise what they're looking to implement in the year. So yeah, scrub up on your Portuguese, German, Spanish, <laughs> whatever team they're playing and try and contact opposition analysts. Um, Do we can. I suppose a combination of the replacement managers plus teams changing style that have moved a league gone up or down. So that's already a sort of six to start with. And then, yeah, I'd imagine it, that, that beginning bit is... Is, is, is challenging for that respect as well. Yeah, I think that's where we touched on it earlier, focusing on ourselves and having a cl- real clear style and um, what we want to implement on the pitch comes in, comes into full strength yeah. at that point of the season. Uh, I think especially when, as you say, you've, say you've got you know, a long travelling away game on a Wednesday you know, and then you've got another game on a Saturday, you're not going to have a huge amount of time to enforce any behavioural changes on the tra- training ground because of those. So I think you, you know, believing what you've been doing throughout is, is key to that. Yeah, and I think on, on that actually, um, the team that we've got, Zaheer's key in that process. So Zaheer will look after the post-match side, which gives me full... Um, the word I want <laughs> autonomy maybe yeah scope yeah, yeah um, just full attention to the yeah. next opponent so I can immediately start putting all my attention into into them and yeah trying to get that set up for the next game has that has that always been the process or have you um, have you adapted it and changed sort of people's roles depending on how um, because of what you know the, the schedule yeah I think in a general setting it's pretty much been like that there's been some tweaks here and there when Maybe a manager in the past has brought their analyst in and you have to change some of the responsibilities and put your focuses into other areas. But yeah, in the whole, it's been structured like that. Structured that way. And obviously that preparation extends into to in-game analysis as well, which is something you're, you're a key part of at Brentford. Yeah, so obviously the in-game stuff is key for any team. With the new law change that you're allowed tech on the bench now and getting video down to the coaching staff to review for a tactical purpose is a game changer really. So it's just trying to find the best ways of doing that. Um, we're installing a new camera system for the start of this season which will give a basically 360 degree view of the game um, that the coaching staff can have access to on an iPad and scrub through the video at their leisure really and change to any angle, zoom in and out and whatever they might want to do. Have the coaches been the driver of that since the the law changed to allow tech or has it come from the analysis side or has it been a sort of a a mutual project? Definitely mutual. We obviously are the ones that are tasked with finding the best way of achieving it but they're key keen on using it as well um, and, and they do push for it particularly at the training ground and for their training methods. Excellent. I suppose that links back to the culture of the club set up that way that encourages encourages that sort of approach. Definitely. You've got to be open to feedback and looking to improve. I wanted to talk a bit about the the wider sort of analytics industry in terms of the use of data, the application of data. Perhaps, you know, you've been in the role eight years. What happens in the next eight years for it? Where do you think it will change? Where do you think it will improve? Yeah, I think 
I've listened to a lot of analysts and a lot of people in football talk and it's around that off the ball information Um, and there's definitely some companies coming to the market or have been in the market for the last 18 months, two years that are merging those two data sets of your tracking data and your event data and that just adds so many different levels to the information that you can provide for coaches and staff. Um, So I think probably for us we'd be looking at areas like runs in behind um, there's some pressure information out there now but yep. maybe more around like what passing lines are you cutting off with your position on the pitch yeah there's some interesting bits in the basketball world about gravity rating and um, distraction scores so if you're a key key player what, is, what are you doing to the opposition players around you and are you attracting them more because you're more important than someone oh, okay, else yep. and then that yep. might create space elsewhere on the pitch so yeah, there's definitely some areas of interest that could be looked at in the next few years. Yeah, and it seems like I'm, you know, I'd, I would imagine there's a fair few that you've you've kept off that list as well. That you've got an idea of of what you want to see happen with those two different data sets as well, and the key areas that the, you and the club have have identified as crucial to to measure within that game plan and plan philosophy. Yeah, I think there's so much information and data out there now that that is the key. You have to have a clear style and detailed questions um, because you can get lost in a lot of the data now Um, you really need to know what you're looking for and answer some of the questions that you really want to know from it I think with those that you know that new world of being able to assess what a player is doing off the ball entirely we'll be able to to have answers to the questions that we think we know but we're not sure of I think I've used it a couple of times so the base level example is almost the distance between two centre-backs just know you know is there an optimum one you know at certain times when the ball's in certain areas yeah it might, you know, we, it might be different to what we thought, but we'll be able to at least try and answer those questions in a way that gives us a quantitative answer. Absolutely. I want to move on slightly in terms of your... Um, so you're on the performance analysis side, your relationships with different departments within the club, be that the um, sort of, you know, the approach to video, live scouting, um, the set pieces team as well, and, um, and even extending that to sort of recruitment and sports science departments. What's that integration like? How does it sort of help you all in your roles and, sort of, and that side of things? Yeah, I think it goes back to what we touched on earlier, that there's two teams, uh, it's a small site, everybody's in each other's pockets, so we're all integrated. In terms of specific work that goes on between the departments, I guess there's some work with the S&C guys, um, they've got a data analyst that we regularly communicate with, and again, going back to that tracking information, and how can we get some meaning, meaningful information out of the two, two departments there. To have that that sports science understanding alongside the or under sports science output alongside the tactical side of things mm. as well, are there certain tactical or aspects of the game that are triggering certain situations from a sports science side and really integrating those two worlds? Definitely, and then that also links into uh, the gym work that they do. So if the guys in the gym have been working on a specific action, like a power action for sprinting or, or whatever it may be, or a turning action, and then that comes out on the pitch, they can come to us and we can give them those clips and then that can integrate into their gym work as well. Excellent. And that, yeah, that, that sort of seems like it's really, really coming together nicely. And obviously Brentford have got, is it, is it a team of one or two in terms of set pieces as well? Yeah, so we've got uh, Nicholas Jova, who's the set-piece coach, and then obviously Taylor came in to predominantly help him, yeah. but he falls under us in the analysis side. Um, yeah, so Nico, believe, came from an analytics background in France, yeah. so he's got a real de- detailed and systematic approach to what he does on the grass with the lads on a set-piece side as well. 
The note you always hear is how bored players get doing the set piece training as well. So that must be like a real, a real challenge as well to keep it engaging, exciting from that side of things. Yeah, I think Nico is very aware of that as yeah. well, and he does a real good job of mixing things up. So whether that's classroom based work, not just on a TV, but getting them in a room, stood up and walking through things, or whether that might be doing some work on the side of the pitch or yeah. actually on the grass. Yeah, it varies his, his approaches to keep things fresh and keep the lads engaged nice one thing sort well semi-linked to that but probably not we'll find out i was listening to a podcast uh well earlier this week actually with eddie jones england england head coach and i was pretty sure i could listen to him talk about anything and he was saying sometimes conflict brings the best out of people it has to make them make decisions yeah so he was saying in the past he's called team meetings and obviously the set piece sort of meeting made me think of this um where he's just not turned up yeah <laughs> I just sort of let the, let the players get on with it which i think is quite a nice touch so that actually happened once with us last year, but I think that was more by luck than judgment. <laughs> I think uh, Dean had got caught up in a press conference and actually, it might have been Moses Ozabajo who just stood up and started taking the session, but yeah, it was more a laugh and a joke than anything <laughs> serious with detailed input. Um, but no, definitely, it's key to keep things fresh. We all know about sitting in classrooms, you get bored, you switch off after two minutes, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, keep things fresh, have players engaged and like you said give them some input so let them take some sessions put them into small groups let them feed back to their peers whatever it may be excellent and you um you went to the uh, leaders in sport conference in atlanta you were saying uh, a couple of weeks ago yeah correct last week yeah excellent and atlanta is a city nice yeah, very nice good very nice stayed in downtown good places to eat and drink Good, good. Uh, I'm trying to think, where, was there any sport that came? Was it uh, MLS no, but I can't imagine that coincided. Yeah, they were away. I think they were playing in Toronto, so no, didn't get to catch a game. But it was at the stadium, which is... Yeah, if it looks. Inc- I've never been, but it looks, looks incredible. It's incredible. And yeah, could you tell us a bit about, not only the conference, but in terms of what you've learned or what you've... Yeah, the impact that other industries, other sports can have in terms of your role and how you've perhaps changed your thinking because of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we all know the importance of looking at other sports for ideas and obviously hockey has been a big one over the last few years I touched on basketball earlier Um, there's rugby I spoke to a cricket analyst at some point last year as well Uh, but going to this conference was probably the first time that opened my mind up to looking at other industries as well and so we touched on that there was somebody there from Delta Airlines for example talking about how they feed back to their pilots and how they debrief them Um, which was really interesting because obviously there's a big crossover there with feedback on performance it doesn't matter what industry you're in it's it's the same process and then they had a guy from the weather channel talking about how they manage big data um, because they probably got one of the biggest data sets in the world collecting weather um, from every country that'd be gold dust for one of our data scientists (laughs) will morgan who i think used to be sort of working manchester university on on climate so that would have been his bread and butter so this this Cricket World Cup with all the rain that's come on days has been sort of his, his at the time of his life. Um, yeah, but it was it was really interesting. Um, and yeah, I think I mentioned it earlier, if everyone thinks the same, things will never change. And that came from um, General Robert Neller, who was uh, the commanding officer of the Marine Corps um, out there. And yeah, just talking about how he changed his attacking strategy to focus some of his resources elsewhere. Um, so that was really interesting. Nice, and was it a combination of sort of uh, different industries entirely and sort of different combination of sports as well? 
So in terms of sort of there was a, someone from the NFL, I believe, presented as well. Is that yeah, right? so yeah, it was a real mix. So the NFL lady was there talking about wellness um, and how she looks after the players because there's a 100% injury rate in the NFL. <laughs> so it's how are you going to deal with that when it eventually happens to you? Um, and then, yeah, there was more around like the culture side, which was good for us guys, um, where they had the general manager from the Atlanta Falcons and I think it was the Toronto Blue Jays as well, just talking about how they structure their organisations and that hiring people for them is the, the biggest mm. thing that puts that culture and sets the tone throughout their club. Yeah, I think we um, we had a guy called Mike Fitzgerald who um, sort of heads up the analytics at the Arizona Diamondbacks baseball side. And um, it was really interesting talking to him, or his talk, because um, obviously baseball you know, has got that, that reputation, and rightly so in terms of being so far ahead in analytics, but with a however many games it is 82 I might have been wrong but there's you know enforcing change or you know um, sort of encouraging behavioural change is is a real challenge that they've got while they've got you know they've got a huge amount of data over a longer period of culture that allows for it but they've still got challenges that are the same in in, in our sport as well yeah definitely Um, I think obviously in baseball you're probably a little more You've got a bit of time between each ball to do your analysis, yeah. whereas football is more free-flowing, so you need a lot more time mm. post-match to, to do that detailed analysis. And I think that, that free-flowing nature really um, really links back to now dugout, now you've got technology on the dugout, mm. how do we get that information across in a way where there's not going to be a distraction that they're going to miss key parts of the game itself because you're going to get them, maybe when the you know, ref's playing for a foul, for example, or when the ball's dead, is probably when you'll get the chance to look at that information. So I think... I think that's where we'll also see, alongside video, there'll be a lot more work on um, on how data is presented visually as well, so people can, can look at it quickly and get the information they need to. Yeah, I think that's key. You've got such little time, not only during a game, but at half-time, for example, when that's your 15-minute window of opportunity to get new information on board to the players. And yeah, at the moment, video is king on that side yep. of things, but yeah, there's definitely some space for data and visual aspects to be brought into that process as well yeah and I think once you know you, as you said you've got the club has a clear playing philosophy and there, there's been metrics that have identi- been identified that are the right ones for that philosophy as well in terms of good measurement so to understand where a team was you know where we are today against where we were and we were 4-0 up or where we are and where expected goal output has been higher or differential has been higher and those sorts of things so I think that'll be a really really interesting development that happens in terms of how coaches consume that information in real time yeah definitely it will be all right, I think that's a, it's a really nice place to wrap it up. Luke, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening.